Now we are beginning to look at a new new commandments today. We are looking at the sixth commandment. And so as we're beginning a look at a new commandment, I'd like just to go through the mnemonic device that we've been looking at over the last several months and see um, what people remember. And um, for those of you who haven't been with us for some of them or perhaps all of them, uh, whatever you can catch on, this is a way of, of learning the Ten Commandments. Which one goes with which number in order to know them in order? <clears throat> So what we do is we take each number and we figure something that rhymes with it, and it helps us remember then what the commandment is. What rhymes with one? Okay, when you think of one run, you think of someone running ahead of you, and the first commandment is, that shall have no other gods before me. So in other words, you don't want anyone running ahead of that. What rhymes with two? Zoo. And what is the second? Well, when you think of a zoo, you think of animals in the zoo? Yes, very good. You think of all kinds of animals in the zoo, and you do not want to do something with regard to animals or other images, so what is the second commandment? Thou shalt not have any graven images, thou shalt not bow down to them, thou shalt not worship them. Very good. Boy, we're just clicking right along here. What rhymes with three? Tree. And what happens when you cut down a tree? It falls down on your foot, and you very carefully watch what you say. Therefore, the third commandment is, number three is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Boy, very good. Four, what rhymes with four? Door. Who knew that door rhymed with four? No, everybody. (laughs) And what do you think of when you think of a door? Church door. And so the fourth commandment is, Right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. <coughs> and there is more to that <coughs> commandment. It goes on, on and on. <coughs> but uh, what rhymes with five? Ah, uh, jive? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what rhymes with five? Who remembers what rhymes with five? Hive. What rhymes with five? Hive. And what? How does hive fit in with five in the fifth commandment? Okay. Honestly, who can remember what the fifth commandment is? Raise your hand if you can remember what the fifth commandment is. Come on, raise it. Come on. Let's see. Let's see here. Here. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Someone who raised your hand, what does hive have to do with the fifth commandment? (laughs) Don't bug your parents. Don't buzz them. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Okay. Home. Oh, hive is a home. Okay, well, that's good. That's another way. We're getting all kinds of extraneous views on this. Your parents tell you not to go near the hive. Okay? Your parents, <laughs> your parents tell you not to go near the hive. My father used to do a lot of speaking at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship um, uh, summer camps. And one summer we were out in Colorado and they have one up on top of Cheyenne Mountain, which is where uh, NORAD is. And it's a mile up. And, and one time when we, the kids, were out playing and, and he was inside 
speaking, I could hear him speaking inside this building. They had a beehive in the back of that thing. And it was one of the, not a, it was a, it was a wooden one with a metal type top and it was big. And we had a fellow from the inner city of Chicago who went with us on a lot of our vacations and we were figuring out things to do and I went over to that hive and I said, you think I can take the lid of this thing off and put it back on again? <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. He was deathly afraid of anything living other than people. <clears throat> no, 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 no. I said, I bet I can watch. I lifted it up and the bees came out and Tony started running. <laughs> I put the lid back on again and you could hear Tony screaming down the road. Ow, ow, <laughs> So remember five hive. What is five? Honor thy father and thy mother. Obedience is part of it. Okay, six. Sticks. Boing, boing, boing. Six sticks. With that picture, can you imagine what the sixth commandment is? <clears throat> right. Thou shalt not commit murder. You shall not murder. <clears throat> so, what rhymes with six? And when you think of sticks, you think of beating people over the head. Therefore, let us say it together. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Okay, let's join together in prayer. Dear Father, as we look at this commandment this morning, we ask that you would impress upon our hearts the value that you have placed upon human life. That we would understand this in such a way that we would live out our lives honoring people because you have created them, that we would honor them as you would have us, have us honor human life. Teach us what we need to learn through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Immediately following the Oklahoma City violence, people in our nation began speaking out against those who had committed this, this dreadful and horrible, wicked act. And it was interesting because a lot of the discussion surrounding the, the, those who committed this act was what will we do with them when we have tried them and convicted them? What happens next? In other words, what punishment fits this crime? Now, people came to the right conclusion in this, but it was interesting how they came to the conclusion. Because we had, from national leaders on down to local leaders, speaking out and saying the death penalty is the punishment which fits this crime. <clears throat> What we need to realize as we come to this commandment is that <coughs> the death penalty does not fit the crime that occurred in Oklahoma City because somewhere under 200 people were killed in that incident. What we have come to in our nation so frequently is we say this is a horrid act because nearly 200 people were killed. And they happen to be, some of them, federal employees, law officers, children, whoever. In other words, if the person warrants our respect, then the death penalty is warranted for killing that person. We need to realize as we come to this commandment that the death penalty is not warranted because nearly 200 people were killed because they were federal employees, because they were law officers, because they were children, because it was done in a cowardly way, the death penalty is not warranted for any of these reasons. Death penalty is warranted 
in the instance of the killing of one person. Equally as much as 200 or 2,000. Because the principle that we find in Scripture is this. God has made human life sacred. It doesn't matter that it's 200. It's not the number that counts. It is the fact that it is human life. (coughs) Now, (coughs) what we need to do is we need to look at this passage and others in Scripture to find out what God is telling us in this commandment, you shall not murder. Here's the, the divine principle regarding the sanctity of human life. Human life is sacred because humans are made in the image of God. We are told this explicitly in the beginning of Genesis. Human beings, unlike any other creature or part of creation, are made in God's image. We are told it explicitly. Let us now make man in our image. He created them male and female. Together, as man, the generic term, we are made in God's image. And so therefore, killing a human being is to dishonor God's image. It's not only against His command, as we see explicitly in this commandment here, but it is dishonoring to God because it is defacing His image. Humans are made in the image of God. Humans have souls. And a soul is a part of us as humans. It's something that you can't quantify or can't qualify. How do you describe a soul? Something you can't see? How can you explain it? There is one thing that can be said about the souls of humans is that they have them and other creatures do not. Humans have souls those souls will live from the time of their creation forever. No other creature has that. That is why we are told so clearly in Scripture that regardless of whether we go to eternal death or eternal life, our existence from this point on is eternal. That is the part that our soul plays. We find in the divine principle that God gives us in Scripture that God expects us and demands of us that we treat human life as sacred. What does this mean? Well, we'll get into a little bit of what this means from a positive standpoint, but let me just suggest several things to cause us to realize wherever we are and whatever we're doing that this has practical implications on an everyday level. Treating human life with dignity And as sacred means treating human life with dignity in our health care centers, our hospitals, by doctors, by health care professionals. It means creating laws that protect life and treat murder of human beings as the heinous crime that God regards it as in our legislative branch. In order for humans to treat human life as sacred... It means that our executive branch, our police forces, and all of these organizations must enforce laws that protect and that defend human life. It means that our courts must mete out justice. Justice. We'll get to a little bit of what justice means in a short bit. 
And it means for the common people, us, in our everyday walks, that we have appropriate responses to murder and the cheapening of human life. And that we hold those around us who have particular positions with God-given responsibilities to the responsibility that God has given them in order to protect and defend human life. Now, as I was looking at this commandment and realizing where we are in the schedule, the calendar of the year, I realized that this was coming up and it will be a two-Sunday message. This is coming up just prior to... What event happens in a week and a couple days? Halloween. Halloween. And what do we see in the way that people are celebrating or emphasizing Halloween around us? I drive down my street. I turn the corner. I look at the house on the corner, and I see that there is a man hanging there by a rope. From his neck, from the balcony of this house on the corner. I don't like that. Now, you and I may have some disagreements, and I'll be able to point you to various scriptural evidences as we go through this. And I would challenge you, if you disagree with me on some of these things, look at scripture and find basis, and let's discuss it. But I think that these sorts of things, as we come to this time and season of the year, are the sorts of things that tell us human life is cheap and it's worthless. My kids will see that and have seen that. What do you tell a child who sees a body hung in effigy? It's been something that has been done over countless ages. But is it right? Is it appropriate? Is it just... Humorous. Some people think it's just humorous. I don't. (laughs) Human life is sacred. Animal life isn't. I say that explicitly, without any apology. That is all there is to it. Now, I'm not saying that, scripturally speaking, God wants us to discount animal life. Because throughout Scripture, we find evidence through the Proverbs, through the book of Jonah, (coughs) of the fact that God tells us to value animals, to take care of them, to care for them with great kindness and compassion, not to destroy them willy-nilly as though they are worthless. However, in the scheme of things, and in God's evaluation, human life is sacred, animal life isn't. Jonah 4, verse 9, when Jonah was pouting about the fact that God had seen fit to cause the people of Nineveh to repent, and the result was going to be that he was not going to destroy Nineveh, Jonah went out in the desert and started pouting. And God, at the end of that book, said to Jonah, because he had caused a vine to grow up to shelter Jonah, And then he caused a wind to whip through, a hot wind to whip through and to kill that vine. And Jonah was out there now sweltering in the heat and fussing because God had allowed this vine that was such a perfect umbrella shelter for him to go the way of all flesh, so to speak. God said to Jonah in verse 9 of chapter 4, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. He said, I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, 
It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. Verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. In other words, this is my explanation here. In other words, should I not be concerned over 120,000 people? He goes on to say, who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And he goes on, interestingly enough, to say, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So we have to realize that God places a high value on animal life. We don't say in Scripture, human life is sacred and animal life is worthless. No. (coughs) But it is not on a par with human life. A perfect example of this is found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. This is a passage that people perhaps are unfamiliar with. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. This is after the ark had grounded. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. In other words, God was saying to humankind at that point in time, as he had said and continues to say throughout Scripture, that animal life is to be used for the benefit of man. Man is to shepherd the resources, including the animal life. But he is not to hesitate to use it, even if it means killing animals. I'm going specifically through those things that we um, tend to think of, sort of periphery issues regarding this commandment. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not kill. You shall not murder, as it's said in the New International Version. I'm hitting the periphery issues because we have to clear those out in order to see explicitly what this passage is dealing with, what it is telling us. We move next to acts of war. We find throughout Scripture that it is right and it is just for nations to go to war and for men to fight in the armies of their nations, thereby taking other human life. Now, I say that unabashedly. Why do I say that? Now, there are certain qualifications in this, as there are in saying that animal life is not on a par of human life. However, we have to realize the context surrounding the time at which these commandments were given. The Israelites had just come out of Egypt. And what did God do to the people who pursued them? (laughs) They were gone, right? Swallowed up in the Dead Sea. Destroyed. Defunct. Disappeared. They would no longer return. What did God have the Israelites do in order to take the land that He had promised them? Explicitly, He had them destroy them. And the phrase that is used in so many of those occasions is, is if you read your footnotes or your endnotes, the irrevocable giving over of something to the Lord, which frequently is interpreted to mean He not only told them to kill every living person, we're not talking about the animals as, as, because that was, that was a given in, in a lot of these circumstances, but He was talking about not only kill, but burn. Complete destruction. (coughs) So we know that it is right and just for nations to go to war and for men to fight in wars and thereby kill other men from the character of God. 
How so? Why could you say that from the character of God? Because God as our Heavenly Father, as our parent, does not tell us one thing and then have us do the opposite. What kind of parenting is it if you tell your child, don't ever do this, and then when you leave the room where you've told him that, you have him go out and do exactly what you told him not to do? Foolishness. We would never do that if we desire to be effective parents. Certainly we can understand that God's character is constant and consistent. He is not fickle. He does not change like the shifting sands. And therefore, He did not tell the people of Israel, (coughs) you shall not commit murder. And then, in the next phrase, go out and destroy these people so that you can take this land. Because He is consistent, we know that war is a part of His plan. He doesn't use... Certain things are not he's, not... he's not telling his people, it's right for you to do this because I've said it at this point, but in any other circumstances, you can't do it. He is constant. And everything he does flows in the same pattern. <clears throat> in these cases, in the cases of war, governments have this authority. We have to realize there, there's a trend in our world today which says that systems are evil, but people aren't evil. People are evil because people are in charge of systems. People are responsible for systems. And so if your government is involved in a war that is wicked, there are people ultimately who hold the responsibility for that. And we can be sure that God will hold them responsible for it. It doesn't mean that He doesn't use wrong wars for His purpose. Because there is evidence given in this throughout Scripture, including in the book of Habakkuk which I would encourage you to look at if you're interested in looking at this further. And so those who have responsibility need to make sure that war is not something that is entered into lightly for worthless causes because of personal affronts, but instead that there are just causes. Now, there is a distinction made between justifiable killing in war and unjustifiable killing in peacetime by David in the book of 1 Kings. David was leaving the scene. He had given the kingdom over to, uh, <clears throat> to Solomon. And he said to Solomon when he handed the throne over that Solomon needed to act out justice on certain particular individuals. One of those individuals was Joab. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 5 and continuing. Now you yourself know what Joab son of Zeruiah did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner son of Ner and Amasa son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood stained the belt round his waist and the sandals on his feet. David called upon Solomon to refuse to let um, Joab's gray hair, head, go down to the grave in peace. And Solomon did execute Joab because of this. We move on to justice. What is justice? There are two sides to justice. Proverbs 17.15 says, "Acquitting Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. In other words, this is not justice. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. Proverbs 24.23 These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, You are innocent. P- 
Peoples will curse him. Nations will denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty and rich blessing will come upon them. Numbers 35, 33. Do not pollute the land where you win. Bloodshed pollutes the land. Atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed except by the blood of the one who sheds it. The government has the responsibility and the authority, God-given responsibility, God-given authority, to see that murder is punished to the full extent. We see in Scripture that God's example of the fullest extent, what He intends to be done with regard to murder, is that those who are guilty of it be condemned to die themselves. In other words, blood must be shed in order to pay for blood having been shed. Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. Numbers 35, 31, Do not accept the ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. He must surely be put to death. What do we see about justice and about blood being shed and the need for execution in these instances? We see that God demands it. We see also that even the pagans regard it as a necessity. In Acts 28, verse 4, when Paul and the Roman soldiers were shipwrecked on the island of Malta, when the islanders of Malta saw, as they were collecting wood for a fire, saw the snake hanging from Paul's hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Society requires it. We are witnessing, because of the guilt of our nation due to murder of many kinds, including the murder of the unborn through abortion, some of the penalties and the price that God inflicts when blood is not paid for by blood. We see examples of this throughout Scripture in the books of Judges, the Kings, and the Chronicles. Because these books reveal the social price that is paid by nations when murder goes unpunished. We need to consider this. Because oftentimes, what we want to do is we want to excuse certain instances and certain situations. There are situations that lawfully should be involved in a lesser punishment. But we cannot, as God's people, be people who refuse the death penalty as being God-ordained. The government has the responsibility of proof. Anyone who kills a person we read in Scripture is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. In other words, the government is responsible to see that the innocent are not convicted and punished for crimes that they did not commit. In this context, if the innocent are found guilty and convicted, execution is murder. Now that, that you think about that, that places a very grave burden on the leaders, those responsible, juries in our nation. A very grave burden is placed upon their shoulders. And that is why God says in Scripture that there are to be the highest standards involved in conviction of murder. It's not to be something that goes upon hearsay or these sorts of things. And far be it from me to figure out how that's involved. What is a witness when we're dealing with a culture that is doing things from such a scientific form of address? My point here as we look at this commandment is to to show us that 
Murder is not speaking of justified execution of guilty people. (coughs) We see an example of murder being accomplished by execution in Scripture when Jesus was executed. Pilate knew full well that Jesus was innocent. He told the crowd this. He indicated it to Jesus. We know from the account of Scripture, and yet he said, take this man out and execute him. Pilate is a government authority who is guilty of murder. The situation is in no way parallel, but the current investigation into the killing of Randall Weaver's wife and son at Ruby Ridge is a case in point in which we need to realize that we are responsible as people in a nation. The government is responsible to see that innocent people are not executed, are not killed, because murder is something that calls out to God. Self-defense. It is biblically justifiable to defend your own life against the violence of another. Can you think of a book in Scripture which is built around the theme of someone defending their life against the violent attack of someone else? Think of a book in the Bible. Esther. Excellent. Esther. That's what the book of Esther is all about. Haman cooked up this plot in order to have the Jews killed, executed. He gained the king's permission. Because the king, for instance, didn't know that his wife, Queen Esther, was Jewish. And Haman hated the Jews. And so what happens in that book is Esther goes to the king and she gets his permission to allow the Jewish people to defend themselves. And on that day, numerous people who hated Jews were executed. Not executed, they were killed by the Jews in self-defense. Getting my points mixed up here. But we see that there are great burdens put upon people with regard to this as well in Exodus 22, verse 2. If the thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. Ah, but if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of bloodshed. Now, I think what we need to realize in this context is the thief is not considered to be a violent criminal. Not someone who has come in with a bludgeon or a sword or a dagger or something like that to kill the homeowner. But instead, someone who has come in to take personal property. If it happens in the middle of the night, you can understand. You can't see what the thief has in his hands. If the person can be apprehended, then murder in self-defense is not appropriate. But if the person cannot be apprehended, are you uncertain what the level of threat is, then killing in self-defense is not spoken of in this, in this commandment. Next week, as we have looked at the basically periphery issues regarding this commandment, we will look at law-breaking according to the Sixth Commandment and what we knew, need to do in order to value human life as God values it. As we conclude, let me remind you that God makes it evidently abundant throughout Scripture that he detests the unlawful shedding of innocent blood. He condemned the king Manasseh for the fact, as it says in Scripture, that blood flowed through the streets under his reign. He brought down nations because of their violence against human life. He judged time and again for this crime. We just look at the principles invoking why involving why human life is distinct and sacred. We have also examined certain situations when it is lawful, according to God's law, to take human life. 
realizing that these are the circumstances when killing is permitted, you and I need to begin to look at human life around us to see those instances where human life is being cheapened, those instances where life is lost, but it is not according to the guidelines given to us in Scripture. We need to examine the Scripture passages to see the basis for the value of human life and God's permission being granted for killing under these circumstances. And then what needs to happen is, having been educated by God's Word, we need to become vocal. We need to speak out so that other people learn as well the value God places on human life and the instances when God regards it as valid for killing to occur and then fight with all the fierceness that is within us to protect human life under any other circumstances. Let's pray. Dear Father, this is such a serious issue because it involves our very lives, the lives of those around us and the world around us. We ask that we would have your perspective on this issue, that we would be taught by you, and that we would value human life according to the fact that human life is created in your image. We thank you for giving us life, for this gift that you have given to us. Keep us from taking it for granted in our own lives and hearts and in the, with regard to the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen.